Next up, we have um, Alison and Bridget who are going to be presenting to us about uh, conducting design research with um, dementia in mind. Alison, Bridget, there you are. Hello. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for, for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. <laughs> Look, uh, with no further ado, take it away. Okay. Wonderful. Um, we respectfully acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of the land on which Swinburne's Australian campuses are located in Melbourne's east and outer east and pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. We are honoured to recognise our connection to Wurundjeri country, history, culture and spirituality through these locations and strive to ensure that we operate in a manner that respects and honours the elders and ancestors of these lands. We also respectfully acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander attendees, presenters and organisers at this conference. We also acknowledge and respect the traditional owners of lands across Australia, their elders, ancestors, cultures and heritage, and recognise the continuing sovereignties of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. Today we're presenting on design research with dementia in mind. My name's Ali DeCroof. And I'm Bridget Angler. This presentation is about uh, some research we did. We conducted it over an 18-month period with people living with dementia. The purpose of the project was to see how augmented reality could support people living with dementia in the home. Today, we're going to be presenting on our experiences, reflections, um, and talking about the things to keep in mind when you're doing design research with people living with dementia. Designing for and researching with people living with dementia is an important topic. Dementia affects directly or indirectly over 1 million people in Australia. According to Dementia Australia, in 2021, approximately 472,000 Australians were living with dementia and around 1.6 million people were involved in their care. More people are living with dementia than ever before, 70% of whom live in the community. An important factor when researching with and designing for people living with dementia is that people want to stay in the home for longer, being reluctant to move into residential care. Our project was conducted and partnered with Dementia Australia Victoria. It lasted 18 months and involved 28 participants, 13 men and 15 women. 24 of these participants lived with partners or spouses in the home. In this presentation, we refer to them as support people. There were 12 researchers on the team from a variety of academic disciplines, from design to computer science. Over the 18 months, we visited each participant an average of six times, and we would send the same pair of researchers on each visit to create consistency and help foster feelings of trust. All the researchers in the project were experienced with human-centred design research, but this project presented unique considerations. We couldn't treat participants the same as we would in other research projects. Identifying dementia and getting a diagnosis is just the start. There are also issues with comorbidities or other medical conditions that can complicate things, geography, medical and allied health support services. Those are the immediate challenges. Not everyone with dementia is old. 
Um, often they face challenges from stigmatisation, finding support services, managing family and relationships and maintaining self and identity. Really importantly, from a research perspective, this is a pr progressive medical condition. Things can change suddenly or gradually. And researchers can't always see and respond to decline, even if they need to. Like other participants without dementia, people with dementia have different needs, attitudes and interests. However, in the case of people living with dementia, these can change as the dementia develops. People living with dementia decline physically as well as cognitively, and an activity that was appropriate at the start of the project may not be physically possible by the end. Our research was conducted under the consent of the Swinburne University Human Research Ethics Committee. Like all universities in Australia, we need to follow the National Statement on Ethical Conduct in Human Research, a set of guidelines for conducting ethical human research. When it comes to research with people living with dementia, we first need to consider if participants are capable of giving consent. What parts of the research can they give consent for and how long will this consent be for? Does consent need to be checked at every visit since participants may have good days or bad days with their condition? How do you protect privacy while protecting the rights of the individual? Sometimes a researcher has to deal with tricky situations. It's important to put plans in place for all foreseeable possibilities. It's our responsibility to safeguard both participants and researchers. So what's the plan for unexpected events? For instance, what if you witness domestic abuse or elder abuse in the home? Participants may be unable to report these issues themselves and researchers may be inexperienced. So having procedures in place for various potential negative events protects both sets of people. Remember that you're researching with rather than researching on people living with dementia. It's important that they have a voice in the research and design that is for their benefit. I think our screen's moving a bit slowly at the moment. I'm going to be talking about some of the, the myths and perceptions about people uh, living with dementia because there are lots of them. Uh, but firstly, the most important thing is that autonomy matters. People don't want to be talked down to or have design products implemented that infantilise them. We found that many participants were reluctant to carry tracking devices, for example. Seemed like a good idea at the time, but what we said on a slide earlier about the, the brief had to be changed and what Ali said about uh, looking at AR and, and potentially wearables, all that kind of goes out the window when you're thinking about people's autonomy and what they prefer. Um, how you communicate with someone and who, with whom you communicate makes a really big difference. We need to provide clear, upfront communication about the processes, the activities, the roles and everything that we were doing, as well as doing it in written form. So not just telling people, but providing written documentation for the support person and the extended support network, not just the person with dementia. Uh, and I'm looking at my notes here and realising that we've still got the word carer in there. And that was a big shift for us as well when we went from a carer to the support person. 
Um, age and ability are big factors, obviously, but people's intellect, interests and the levels of, of, and types of activity that they can and want to engage in uh, differ greatly. And that is also an influencing factor uh, around our, our beliefs, our assumptions uh, about people living with dementia. We also couldn't assume, as we learned very early on, that people, especially the support person, knows where to go to get the help, to get the advice, to get the support services that they needed, uh, which was a bit of a blurring around the role of the researcher and what we were able to talk about and what we were able to provide as, as researchers. Which brings me to the next point about maintaining respect for the participants and their support network, their, their personal support uh, person, but anyone else around them, because you're entering into their home. Uh, and for a short time, you are effectively intervening with their day-to-day -day activities. You're interacting with their life. This is not only an, a great responsibility, but it's also a great privilege to be able to do that. And it's something that we will never forget and something that as a design researcher, you should never forget. Uh, the key findings, uh, particularly around technology, because that was the focus of the original brief, was that it is possible for people to age in place and with dignity. Um, it increases confidence and a feeling of independence that benefits everyone. The specific findings from this project, which emphasised technology, were that when using technology, newer or simpler isn't always better. Uh, having an old phone was not to be stigmatised. An old phone meant that someone was familiar with it. It also prevented them from installing updates that they didn't know how to work with. People with dementia have difficulty learning new user interfaces, new buttons, um, and they'll very frequently revert to and, and be more comfortable using an older operating system because they don't know how to use the newer stuff. This can limit the design outcome possibilities and it certainly curtailed the work that we did in developing up some of the technologies that we, um, we worked on. We also need to consider the use of technology. Is it useful and meaningful for the participant or for the support person? Because they're two different cases and both potentially equally important and need to be factored into the final um, outcome. And if... If it's not going to be useful for one of them, then forget it. Uh, you can't just force technology on people because motivation to use technology is often more in indicative of success than the usability of the design itself. Uh, Big question for us was also, what's the ongoing technical support? Many of our participants changed from ADSL to NBN during the project, meaning that we as researchers were struggling to be tech solutions. We were providing ad hoc and informal tech support um, to ensure that devices not only worked, but continued to work um, through the home. The person living with dementia and their extended support network, particularly the person who is possibly in the home with them, may not have the sufficient technical skills, know-how or confidence to be able to fix and update issues as they come up. So what did we learn? An awful lot. Um, conducting research with people living with dementia is to consider the role of the participant, the person living with dementia first and foremost. Autonomy and independence um, is, is, is the most significant thing, but we also needed to be mindful of their need to rely on their support personal support network in order to participate. So this speaks to some of the things that Ali raised already about consent, who's actually giving consent. Um, this is constantly shifting. Sometimes the feeling of independence is more important than being objectively independent. So there was a lot of empowerment that came out of someone thinking that they were and believing that they were able to do things. 
The role of, of us as a researcher meant that we were actually working with dyads, so the, the participant and the support person. So there were shifting roles and responsibilities and relationships. Uh, so you, you are in someone's home and you're privy to their life experience. If our goal is to support a person living with dementia, staying in the home for longer, often it's the support person who will determine how long that's actually feasible. Supporting the support person can be more effective than supporting the person living with dementia directly. So the extended network, that bigger community. Um, the significance of the local coffee shop is that it becomes a marker for someone living with dementia and there's a familiarity or a relationship that can be established, which gives a sense of independence and people are able to continue doing their day-to-day -day activities. Um, a neighbour can be part of that support network. And so it means that it's not just the technology or the device for the participant, it's the bigger community around them um, that has a role in the caring and the everyday activities. The importance of observation over description. We had one participant who would brush their teeth for anywhere up to and beyond 45 minutes because according to their support person in the interviews, they couldn't remember which teeth they had already brushed. So they just kept going. We began to design smart mirrors and technical responses to assist with instructions and timing of how to brush their teeth. And in the end, an occupational therapist who was sent um, by Dementia Australia observed the participant brushing their teeth. They were forgetting to put toothbrush, sorry, toothpaste on the toothbrush. Once that was sorted out, the participant could taste their teeth to detect where they had brushed and where they hadn't brushed. And so their truth brushing routine fell back into a, a normal duration. If we had listened to the interviews alone, we wouldn't have learned that. And it was also the engagement of that broader allied health support that um, made it possible for us to, to work with that insight, which is another lesson learned. Always strive to ask better questions and don't just stick to the script. Uh, there are such individual and particular significant individual response experiences of dementia that we needed to adapt our questions and responses to the co context of each participant. Uh, I know that that sounds like a no-brainer, but it actually isn't when you are working in very rigorously controlled uh, health-based research where everything is signed off back to those ethics, down to the letter. Um, so you have to be able to work within your ethics uh, and other constraints, but still interpret as you need to. Um, we, we also learned that you can't just test stuff in a lab. So Doing stuff in home meant that we tested it in home and we were doing research in the home. It wasn't a synthesised environment. It also meant that we had to be over-prepared and ready for things to not work and ready for things to not work or go wrong at a following visit. So we had a wheelie bag that we carried with us um, with a whole lot of stuff. Um, we also learned that um, things like batteries, things like using chargers had to be part of not only the process with the participants uh, and their support people, but in the documentation. So the reminder that things might, might need to be charged, things might, might, might need to be, batteries might need to be changed. Um, so the importance of prompts and instructions. People want to know what to do and they want to have control. That's that autonomy and independence, but they also need the written documentation and uh, a, a, a 
you know, the documents that come with your um, installation, your little um, dongle and stuff like that are useless. It needs to be laid out as part of a process. So there was an element of service provision and service design in, in how we, we did this uh, in the documentation. But most importantly, when it comes to the technology, we have to be able to complement people's literacy, uh, their interests, their capabilities and their access to support. Uh, there were people who had no interest in technology whatsoever uh, and so more passive solutions requiring no interaction had to be trialled. Uh, other people had lots of experience and loved their devices and loved what it gave them. You know, the GPS enabled them to get out of the house while they knew how to use it. Uh, but that changed. And so uh, being able to give that element of surprise and delight and to challenge people to use things was great with some of the, the smart home resources that we have available to us. So in terms of tips for future research, what would we do again and what would we do differently? Uh, our advice to ourselves and to everyone else is observe people doing things, don't just interview them. They may not realise what the problem is and so that rich description is important but you have to hear it from them and observe them doing it. Research needs to be over the long term and in the home. Individual context and needs will differ so much and they change over time. They might change over the process, you know, over a week, they might change over a month and there can be significant changes in that time. And a lab condition will not reflect that, particularly the everyday activities and especially when it comes to new technology. Uh, at the same time, the individual context itself will differ so much that it's impossible to generalise most of the findings to all people living with dementia. One design product can require multiple personas, multiple use cases and user journeys in order for us to fully explore the potential and, and find a way for it to um, help a variety of people living with dementia. We found that customization of technology solutions through modular design products was the most suitable response overall. Then we could integrate the different design options together and create a holistic technological environment that was suitable for each individual's needs and motivations within their lived context. So much is dependent on the support person. They provide significant but different inputs depending on the, the relationship and the needs of, of each person. And it is vital, absolutely vital, to keep them in the research and involved and engaged. And, and communication often can be directed through the support person, not the participant, the person living with dementia. Uh, don't forget that impact of the social network. There, you ask what roles different people play in everyday support, how can supporting them help support the person living with dementia and support the support person because they often need a different kind of support. Which brings me to a big lesson for us, um, self-care for researchers. You've got to understand your role and ask about access to appropriate support but it's understanding that there is a. this is going to be quite intimate. Um, you've got to be able to talk to your team about stuff. You've got to learn to recognise when you need support uh, and you have to let it out, basically. Uh, there, there will be all sorts of things you come up against. So there will be the, the conceivable issues and then the inconceivable ones so that you can keep supporting your participant and their support network, but also the rest of your team as researchers. Uh, big one for us, and we both are emotional people, <laughs> Um, be prepared to care. This is an, an 18-month project and over that time we had really strong bonds with the people that we were meeting with. Um, they knew <laughs> they knew a lot about us and we knew a lot about them. Uh, so we were emotionally impacted by it uh, and particularly when they suffer setbacks or they get bad news. Uh, you can also celebrate with them but the, it, the, the other... The, 
tough times are the tough times. As researchers, we need to look after ourselves. This is a general thing. We really must look after ourselves and look after each other. Often our research meetings would involve very lengthy discussions of these emotional aspects, and this should be factored into any kind of research planning. Uh, we've got a list of references that have been used in the presentation, including a couple of pieces that have been published from the project itself. Uh, and uh, that's an example of one of the technologies that we developed. Uh, do you want to quickly? Yeah. So as I as mentioned by Bridget, we used a lot of modular things to work together. So one of the ones we found very successful was the Echo Dot or the Alexa um, for people who didn't have forms of aphasia where they lost the ability to talk because, of course, there are all these different types of dementia. For the people who are still capable of talking, it was actually a very intuitive interface to be able to find out what the day is because that's one of the things that people with dementia often want to know. In fact, a lot of the participants would buy the newspaper every day simply so it could sit on the table and the person with dementia could come along and figure out what day it was, what time it is. Um, if you integrate a calendar, they can find out when appointments are. Uh, next to it, we have an iPad with a custom-designed music app where they could simply choose what mood they wanted to listen to, a lot more simple than most uh, music apps, and we found that that was successful. And also uh, bone-conducting headphones were good because it meant that it didn't block out other noises, conversations, but they could listen to music. And, of course, music therapy is used a lot in um, uh, with people living with dementia. And there's just a few more references on the remaining uh, pages. We can see some questions coming up in the Q&A. The box is just letting me close it now. Uh, so there, there is lots of information out there. Thank you very much for the comments that are coming through in the chat. We really appreciate it. It is really, really um, lovely to get that feedback. Uh, yeah, you do laugh, you do cry, and you absolutely care. Um, <laughs> we get, yeah, we get a bit emotional. Don't we? we just know how much it, it makes um, a difference. And it was, it was a great project to be involved with. We're very proud of it. Yeah. Um, and even just um, being a part of the project, some of the participants had come in focusing on what they'd lost as a result of the condition, but actually finding that they could do more than they had thought that they could do before and getting more involved in community groups, public speaking, things like that, and actually finding that participation in the project benefited them in the long run through ways that, you know, we did not plan and they did no. not anticipate. No. So uh, it was a, a really rewarding project to be part of. There's a great question here about ch things changing day to day. Uh, so for observation about taking into account to define the length of the research with each participant to make sure we capture the most accurate data possible. Yeah, do as much as you can of that and be prepared to change. Uh, we, we would have visits scheduled over a particular period of time based on uh, what we needed to do to get our work done. We had lead times for deliverables uh, and people would cancel because they had a doctor's appointment or they had a christening to go to. And so uh, our timelines got thwarted over and over and over again. But you know what? 
It's about the people that you're researching with, not about the deliverable at the end um, as a deadline. Uh, so, yeah. And while we did an average of six visits over the 18 months, there were lots of phone calls between those visits, talking to both the support person and the person living with dementia to find out if things had changed, if there was any additional help they needed um, and, and finding out additional information. So we combined both methods of um, getting that data. Yeah. So thank you all. Thank you both so much. It's a wonderful story. Thank you. Thank you. I'll stop. Um, I, was, I was reminded as you were talking there of um, uh, a cafe chain in West Australia. Um, it's called Dome Coffees. But when you go and, and visit them and, and they've got dozens of these uh, cafes, one of the things that really stands out is the number of um, people and carers who are in the cafes. Um, and, and it's because their staff, <clears throat> their staff are trained and encouraged to help them um, to spend time with both of those people. The carers find it a really supportive environment. Um, they feel comfortable maybe for the only time in their day, being able to step away and leave the person that they're looking after in the care of the staff. Um, you mentioned that it's like it becomes a reference point. Um, so it's a, it's a point where that person often feels comfortable um, yep. and, and can be left alone, whereas at other times it's, it's just not possible or in other environments it's just not possible. But it was one of the things that like when we were um, researching them and we did some work looking at them, um, it's it's remarkable the the number of people with carers in their cafes versus hardly any um, in in other cafes that you would see. Yeah, yeah. It it's uh, it it, it is again another dynamic in the interactions in the day to day lives that people can gain some familiarity with. It mm. becomes very much reliant on the person in the cafe or the person in the coffee shop, the neighbour, to start recognising when the, the person living with dementia might need a little bit more. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there's an incredible community responsibility that goes with this, which is good if we can build, build that into the, the way we live our lives and interact That's with right. others. And it's certainly worth visiting the Dementia Australia website for training that they have available for everyone um, to learn more about the conditions so that uh, if you encounter someone at the shops or down the street or anything, you know the appropriate ways to respond. And, um, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.